Hello, everyone. This is the 18th episode of Bible Beyond. And today we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. It says, The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall. And the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. This is really the passage that inspired me to do a series about Daniel. I was just reading through the book, and this phrase, it's in uh, verse 12, it says that Daniel had an excellent spirit. And that phrase, that description of Daniel, really stuck with me. It's what made me want to do uh, these episodes talking about Daniel and the book and what happens. So today we actually get to see this description of Daniel. And today we're going to look at who Daniel is, what this spirit of his is, and how it impacts those around him. All of this and more on Bible Beyond. So previously, uh, in the last few episodes, what I've been doing is taking chunks of scripture, going over them, moving on to some more verses, going over those, and so on, until we cover the entire chapter. However, this time, uh, we're focusing on verses 10 through 12, because I really do think it's the main part that we need to focus on. That said, in order to understand it well, I do want to quickly go over the chapter itself, what's going on, and what we need to understand. So, without further ado, Daniel chapter 5 takes place when King Nebuchadnezzar has died. And his son, King Belshazzar, he has taken up the throne. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, you'll remember in earlier chapters, he, he was the main king, he really was the only king, that uh, we got to see Daniel interact with. So here we have a new king, and as this takes place, when we begin in chapter 5, the Persians have surrounded their city, and they're laying siege to it. They're trying to wait it out so that they can take the city. And these are pretty dire circumstances for King Belshazzar, but instead he decides it's a great time to throw a party. And what he does is he invites a thousand of his lords to join with him and to eat and to drink. 
So there's a siege, but nonetheless, he decides to throw this party. And during the party, as a way of entertaining his guests, what he does is he sends for the holy vessels of the Jewish temple. And these are holy artifacts, they're cups and plates, and he sends for them, they're brought, and then he and his lords, they drink and they eat from them. And this is verse 4, it's very important, and says, They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Which, you'll notice, are none of the gods of the Bible. None of these are the God of Israel. They're dedicating their, their drink and their food and these vessels not to the holy God, but to these gods that simply don't exist. That's going to be very important. And right then, it says that the fingers of a human hand wrote on the wall. And these, apparently, are the hand of God writing to King Belshazzar. And understandably, King Belshazzar freaks out. Why is this you know, removed hand writing strange things on my wall? So as he's alarmed, this is kind of where we come to our actual passage. Uh, his um, queen says that uh, there's this one man in the kingdom named Daniel, who as he has in the past with his father, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's interpreted and understood these kinds of things. So he sends for Daniel. Daniel comes and he interprets the message that this mysterious hand wrote on the wall. And his translation, his interpretation is not optimistic. He basically says that because of what King Belshazzar has done, his days have been numbered by God, and eventually the Persians are going to come and divide up his empire. And that's exactly what happens. Later that night, the Persians break in, they conquer the city, and they kill King Belshazzar. So that's what's going on. That's the story. So maybe the first thing that would stick out to us, the first thing that would come to mind is again verse 4. It says that they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Because right there, that's the sin that they commit. That seems to be the thing that sets off this chain reaction that eventually leads to the Persians conquering Babylon. And you may think two things are strange about this. Number one, they're not necessarily going around murdering people. They're not slaughtering uh, a group. They're, they, they're not doing anything extremely terrible, it doesn't seem like. And secondly, well, they're wrong. We know that there aren't gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So here's the question, why would God, who is sovereign, who really isn't impacted by however wrong they might be about the gods of silver and gold, why would he care so much about what they've done? Well, frankly, I think he has great reason to care. 
I think most of us can relate to the situation, really any situation, where credit is misplaced. And this can be credit for a good thing or credit for a bad thing. If you've done something good, maybe you did most of the work on an assignment or something, and yet someone else got the credit for your work, you probably felt, you know, this is a great injustice, this is wrong, this is terrible, this is simply unfair. Or you can take it the other way. Maybe something happened and you've been blamed at some point or another for something that you didn't actually do. And once again, we stomp our feet, we wave our fist in the air and say, this is wrong, this is an injustice, this is unfair. And everything in us, in those situations, seems to say that what has happened is totally and inexplicably incorrect. So I guess I would ask, how much more would a perfect God who deserves all of the credit feel when these people dedicate uh, not only these cups and plates, but these holy artifacts to their own gods? I think that God has the most reason out of all of us uh, to retaliate. And I think that most of us, if we had the power to do so, if we were wronged in this way, we would react uh, with the same you know, vengeance, uh, with, with the same fury that God does. Now, the end result of this story is that King Belshazzar is killed, his kingdom is divided, and he's totally and completely brought down. Now, you may say, well, that's great because I'm safe for this, because as far as I remember, I never remember dedicating anything to the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And you're probably correct. I have never myself or seen anybody dedicate anything to any god of some sort of natural material. That's just not something we really see in our culture. But nonetheless, I would argue that we, to the same extent, and just as often, dedicate things that should be dedicated to God to something other than God. If you went up to just a random house, you knocked on the door, someone came, they answered, and you asked them, hey, I just wanted to ask, how did you get this house? They would probably say, well, I got a mortgage. And they'd be right. But if you dug deeper, you asked, okay, well, how did you get the mortgage? Well, I got it because, uh, you know, I worked really hard in school. I got out, I, you know, advanced, I climbed the ladder. Um, because of my skills, my hard work, uh, I was paid, I was able to get the mortgage, and that's how I got the house. And now, we see, quite often, and in this example... The house is a direct ex result of what we've done. So we're not necessarily dedicating the house brick by brick to the god of stone, but we are giving credit to something else that is not God. Now, it's fine to be grateful for those abilities, that's proper, but who are we grateful to? Who was it that gave us those abilities, 
that gave us the opportunities to eventually get the house. And we can even ask the question, who made the stone in the first place to build the house? The answer to all of these questions is God. And over and over again, we dedicate what we have not to God, but to something else. And again, back then, you know, a lot of the times it would often be a different God that didn't exist of stone or wood or metal. And that's not nearly as often the case today, but just as often as they gave credit to something that did not deserve it, we do the same today. So essentially, we're in the same boat. Now, something else that's interesting about this story is that King Belshazzar does not repent. And if you may remember, in the last three chapters, chapters two through uh, four, King Nebuchadnezzar, he is kind of in a similar situation. And Daniel, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or God himself speaks, and he repents. And each time that he repents, he understands God more and more. But this time, King Belshazzar does not repent. And what is the result? The result is that the Persians come in, they destroy him and his kingdom, and there's judgment for that. Just as any of us would do, and just as any of us would do, God you know, retaliates for what he has done. So this is the choice that we're left with. We can see that King Nebuchadnezzar over and over, he repents, he draws closer to God, and he grows in understanding. His way of life changes. King Belshazzar, on the other hand, faces the wrath and the fury of God. Now, the exciting part is that we do have, each and every one of us, the opportunity to repent just like King Nebuchadnezzar did. See, each time King Nebuchadnezzar, what he saw was Daniel. He saw Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and through them, he saw this excellent spirit. He was able to have a glimpse of God and who he is through these people, and because of that, it led him to repentance. Now, this is great because just like King Nebuchadnezzar, we can see this excellent spirit and we can repent, except for one detail, Daniel is dead. And frankly, I don't know anyone else who's close to the knowledge um, and the excellence of spirit as Daniel. In fact, it's not just Daniel, but both Daniel, Elijah, Moses, Isaiah, all of the great prophets have died. So where does that leave us? Because we don't have the active example of God in our lives. All of the prophets throughout Israel's history, they serve as this example they display an excellent spirit, but then they die until the New Testament. When there's 
a new prophet, and his name is Jesus. Now, Jesus, just like all of the other prophets, has this excellent spirit. In fact, when Jesus is baptized, the spirit of God descends on him in the form of a dove. And from that moment on, he goes on doing these crazy miracles. Uh, and all of these um, events, all of these displays of this spirit of God. Just like the other prophets, Jesus has this spirit, but just like all of the other prophets, Jesus also dies. So what makes him any different? Why is he so important? Why is he the ultimate Daniel? It's because when he died, three days later, he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead, and since then, he is alive, and he is an active display of God and his spirit. That's where we get the ultimate prophet, and that's what should lead us to repentance. And we can see in the book of Daniel, through chapters uh, 2 through 4, that this changes King Nebuchadnezzar. Unlike King Belshazzar, he comes to repentance, and over and over again, he draws closer to God. Essentially, he really does become more and more like Daniel. Now, what's so amazing about Daniel? Well, again, he had this spirit of excellence. Back in chapter 1, there's this amazing story about Daniel. Because Daniel is an Israelite, he's been conquered by the Babylonians, but what's so amazing is how he reacts. He, re he reacts with really legendary wisdom and calmness and peace about the situation. He knows just how to react. He knows just how to treat others and that is the spirit of excellence that Daniel demonstrates. That's the spirit of excellence that King Nebuchadnezzar more and more comes to show. And it's actually the same spirit that we can demonstrate. Because just like King Nebuchadnezzar had Daniel, we have the ultimate prophet. We actually have Jesus who died, and because he died and rose again, his death is a testament to the grace of God. It's a testament to the Spirit of God. And again, just like King Nebuchadnezzar had Daniel, we have the perfect Daniel. We have Jesus. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's because of the fact that he lives, that it doesn't matter what situation we're in, we can still have the knowledge and the peace and the wisdom that Daniel demonstrated over and over and over. Now with that in mind, let's close in prayer. Dear God, thank you for the book of Daniel. 
for Daniel the prophet in what he demonstrated. How he showed this excellent spirit and how by doing so he caused the people around him to change. To come to you and to repent and then to live their lives with this excellent spirit. God, we know that through Jesus we have the perfect Daniel. And I pray that through him we would also discover this excellent spirit. That you would fill us with it and that we would live our lives with a greater knowledge of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been the 18th episode of Bible Beyond. A huge thank you to my grandfather for creating the great music you're listening to right now. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more, check back with us on the first of every month, when we'll have a new episode up and ready. But until then, have a great day.